Dropping Game episode five, I think. Guest tonight, or tonight, is Dave Young. How are you? Yeah, I'm alright. <laughs> That's good. I asked the obvious question, how'd you get in the hunting? Oh, I've been... Had a rifle in my hand since I could walk around and carry it, I suppose. So I've been shooting all my life. I'm a... Um, grew up on the land, so shooting rabbits and and stuff on the farm over the years and just gone down the road of progressing to something that's a bit more challenging. So I chase deer and other more challenging game now than what I used to. How'd you get into the deer hunting? Oh, when I was the last couple of years in a farming, I was friendly with a bloke that was just starting out deer hunting and I went with him a couple of times and we spent two years chasing salmon before we even saw one and um, that was a fair bit of time spent chasing salmon but yeah, I only lived an hour and a half away from good samba country in those days and we started hunting around Corriong so and it sort of led from there but um, I didn't actually realise there was many deer in Australia until that moment so otherwise I'd have been probably on it sooner bit of a secret society in those days where it's pretty public news now yeah, where was like, when did you, what was your, so Samba was your first deer that you got? Samba was the first deer we hunted, well, I lived down near Tumut, so um, Samba were close by, um, and we basically uh, chased them for probably first seven years, I suppose, of Samba hunt, or deer hunting career, and then I've moved up towards, Ober, or up to Oberon, and they started chasing fallow and red deer as they came available up there but we I did I've probably been hunting Samba for probably about 28 years and I've done 10 backpack walking hunts into the Wanangatta and seen lots of animals over the years but there's a lot more animals around now than there ever was then it's a lot easier now than it was but that's basically where I started and that's why I started hunting Samba because there was not much else there's a few pockets of fallow around but they were pretty sheltered too. You couldn't get to them unless you had access to the right properties. That was pretty hard to get in those days. So you, you've got two Samba mounts, don't you? I've got two Samba, Samba mounted, but I've shot four stags that are in excess of 27 inches over the years. But it's, that's, like I say, that's been 28 years. I haven't done much Samba hunting for the last few years, but I've... I've seen a lot of deer over the years and filmed them and stuff like that, but um, yeah, the first one was two years of hunting and then the next one was probably another, the next season I shot another one, and then it was probably about four years before I shot the next stag, but I've shot other deer in between in the meantime, and then that was probably about, last one was a 30 or 29 incher. With a 30, 33 inch spread and it was probably it'd be about 10 years ago I suppose I shot it uh, spread out long way between each one out of 10 years worth of backpack hunting I've, pro I've only shot probably two deer in that 10 years but I've seen many in only one good stag and one meat animal while we were camped so we used to just 
walk 17 kilometres to where we camped, and so we didn't carry too much stuff, but um, there was plenty of deer to be seen. What was your shooting back then? The, the gun? Yeah. Yeah, I was using, I started with a 270, and now I've got a 300 Winchester Magnum, but it's only a um, CMC, it's nothing fancy, but you don't want to be taking a $2,500 Seiko down there. Not like some people. <laughs> I, I, I learn quickly. <laughs> yeah, there's not much blue left on my old Samba rifle. She's got a lot of blackberry scratches on it. She's a walking stick half its life and then been carried a lot to get shined up. How'd you go to end up going to New Zealand? Um, some hunting colleagues, Lewis Reed for one, he was been hunting in New Zealand for many years and Mike Welsh is another bloke that I went over there with and we just went hunting one year I was going to go over and there was a couple of um, hiccups in my life that caused me not to go and then after that I've been going consistently started out going tar hunting on the west coast of New Zealand in the balance of country there and um, fly in and spend a week hunting and then fly out again that was um, I never had an ambition to shoot a tar but um, I've shot a number of pretty good tar over the few years I've been doing that, but it's mostly about the adventure and the type of country you're in. It's just unbelievable country, and that's the main attraction about hunting in New Zealand. It's just the scenery and the challenge to do it, go and do what you do is ten times more than what it is here. Hmm. So, was your first red deer that you got in Australia? Or? Yeah, the first red deer I shot out in the Obron area. Um, I've only I've only shot one representative stag in Australia. I've shot a number of well, probably twenty red deer, I suppose, in Australia, but I've only one good stag and probably a couple of little spikers, probably for meat. The property owner wanted them all sh all shot, but you never do that. <laughs> Even if you wanted to, you or if you could, you wouldn't. <laughs> I've shot three pretty good stags in New Zealand. Um, on the first trip and that was probably a bit of um, or a fair bit of luck but um, the area where I was hunting had not been hunted much by free range hunters I suppose and uh, just happened to be there at the right time so yeah I haven't shot a huge number of reds but I've got a couple of pretty good ones the one that you got in Australia that was a Australian record holder wasn't it it held the record for a number of years for having the best aggregate for the Brow Bay and Traytons for the ADA. It had um, the longest, all those three times or six times added together was the highest score on the ADA record for many years. It was a scored, I think the total score was about 270 five or something Douglas points but that was um, back scored back in the days when the ADA was having a major conflict with the scoring system and um, I believe it probably should score a little bit more than that because it didn't get scored as you would score it in New Zealand so anyway that's a, another story we don't want to talk about that one at the moment <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've seen that one I've seen you two but I haven't seen a good fellow hanging up. I had a reasonable fellow, the first fellow buck I shot, um, 
I shot out at, um, in the Vulcan Forest out from Oberon and um, I'd been chasing fallow pretty hard that year but there was not a lot of deer was, like that was back when there was not lots of deer around Oberon um, and it was after the rut and I managed to see him out in the edge of a patch of pines and I nailed him had him mounted and I've um, shot a couple couple of others one pretty good one since then he'd be probably well he's pretty good for this area he didn't win the club trophy because another guy shot one that was probably another five points better score than the one I got but he'd be around 210 to 15 probably I can't even remember what, he's, what he scored now but he never got mounted because I didn't keep the cape at the time because I didn't didn't have room to put another one so I didn't get another one I'll probably never get another deer mounted I wouldn't think unless I shoot a real good whitetail in New Zealand but I have shot several reasonable fellow buck over the years so you've, you've been after whitetail in New Zealand have you? I've hunted whitetail a number of times um, and there's a for those that are in the know there's a patch of country in New Zealand that's um, well it's not secret anymore but I won't say where it is now but um, it's easily accessible and there's some very good whitetail trophies come out of there for New Zealand standards and there's also a big population on Stewart Island which is um, quite remote and um, hard. It's a bit of a challenge to get in there and it's quite flat so I've not been there but I believe you can get lost very easily and there's lots of sand flies and it's wet. Where's the... Stuart Island. Oh, yeah. So you haven't actually shot a whitetail? No, I haven't shot a whitetail. Um, I probably could have shot a couple, but one, one was a spiker, and um, you tend not to shoot the spikers because there's not big numbers there. It's pretty challenging to actually get a good one because the heli hunters are actually hammering them. Um, they fly around and spot them from the air and then chase them until they can't run anymore and put a hunter out or shoot them from the air and call that a trophy but the Yanks pay big money for that so that's where they half of them go to but um, some of my colleagues of a couple of my mates over there have shot some real good ones um, in unexpected spots so they are covering a bit more range over there I believe um, and a couple of my colleagues have been over there this year and they saw quite a few um, and when I was over there to go to Fjordland this year I was talking to a couple of guys that had just been whitetail hunting and they said they saw a big number too so there's obviously a few about in places um, but it's you've got to get there at the right time of the year to hunt them before they um, get the helicopter start chasing too much they've sort of got a restriction on they you've got to shoot them right at the end of their velvet growing stage otherwise you'll miss out on because there's that many people chasing them the big ones are gone before that or by that time so then they don't look after them as much as they do the wobbity there's no managed herd there of the white tail they're just on the there is places there's quite a bit of public land there that gets hunted heavily and then there's two properties that i know of that are big prop sheep stations that have white tail running on them and they don't let any hunters on but there's obviously a bit of poaching goes on there but the um, overflow of those deer tend to go out into the public land I think and um, there's a lot of bush country that they live in too which is 
pretty hard because they're not vocal as far as I know. Um, so they're pretty hard to track down. But you're usually hunting out on the tussock, open top tussock country. That's how you find them. And you've just got to sit up there for hours and hours and glass. And that's it. And, but it's different on Stewart Island. You've got to actually walk around and try and find them, I believe. I'm not, like I say, I've not been there. But um, I guess I'll go there one night. What you've been to Fjordland, obviously. I've been been to Fjordland twice, um, chasing Whoppity. I was actually helping, working for Chris McCarthy of of um, Harwe, Harwe, um, Lake Harwea hunting safaris. Um, on the first occasion, he had three clients, and I was the cook and camp sort of person. But uh, we got hammered by weather, so we spent three days in rain and got the camp wrecked. Um, we saw a couple of animals, but where we were, it was that was post-balloting period, so we were right on the coast, and um, the fog beat us on the animals that we did see, and there was we heard a couple bugling. And I was over there for the bugle this year, in the third period, um, and we saw some animals, but um, it rained for four days and it was foggy so we couldn't see anything for the that was about the middle of the period and then we got everything started to get wet so we pulled out of there and went um, tar hunting for a couple of days up near Mount Cook so that's my experience on Fjordland but any of the west coast country down that way um, south of I suppose well any of the west coast is extremely wet so it's pretty difficult country to cope with the rains, they measure the rain in the metres, not by inches. So <laughs> we flew in one trip to go tar hunting and I said to the helicopter pilot how much rain there'd been over the last couple of days. He said a half a metre. That's why the rivers are so gravelly. Rain so much. All right. So, um, there, there, there. So, like, you, you can hunt Wapiti before the ballot? You can hunt Wapiti virtually all year round over there. They've got a closed period for a month before the ballot period just to let them settle down. There's no aircraft allowed over the balloted zone in that period either. So, like, there's no aerial culling or anything. And they cull very heavily in the wilderness area um, each year to try and reduce the red population because there's a, there was a pure herd there and the reds have infiltrated in there and there's been um, a lot of, with the venison prices being so high, sometimes there's a lot of um, animals got shot um, and the herd got fairly badly decimated about 20 years ago and um, they're starting to recover now, there's some good looking animals show up there but um, it's like a lot of things, you only get an opportunity because it's a ballad, you only get there once or twice in your lifetime sometimes and people tend to shoot what they see rather than let the trophies grow out. They're shooting young animals that are probably four and five years old instead of letting them grow to eight or nine years old and get properly mature and big antlers. They'll grow to 40, 45 plus if they're allowed to grow old enough. Plenty of them in the early days were shot with um, well over 50 inches of antlers so they will get big. You mentioned before that for your first Wobbly hunt, you were the cook for Lake... Lake Harwea. 
safaris. Hunting safaris, run by Chris McCarthy. How'd you get involved with him? Um, well, it's a bit of a long story. We don't want to go all, by, all the way back in that. Um, my wife is a Kiwi and I met her in Albury at um, the first um, hunting show that they had down there about oh, nine years ago. And then um, I had a bit of a disruption in my life over here and uh, went to New Zealand hunting and then met up with Joe again there and uh, kept in contact with her after I came back to Australia and then I ended up going over there for four years. So spent four years in New Zealand and then I brought Joe back here with me now. So I'm married to a Kiwi, that's why I'm hunting a bit in New Zealand. She's still got a house there, so we go back there quite a lot. Alright. So I quit. So as the cook did you, because they were just the backpack hunting? Yeah, fly in. Yep. Yeah, we flew in for the, with Chris McCarthy. He used to be purely wilderness hunting, um, but he does other other hunting now because it's, um, he couldn't make a living out of just strictly wilderness, but he, that's his core business, wilderness um, and he does a very good job. He's always he's probably ninety nine percent success rate, and um, gets some very good trophies. And he does whitetail as well. What was the what what was his bread and butter like? What was the main hunt that people seemed to go on? His main hunt is um, tar and chamois hunting in the winter time. But he'll he does anything from rabbits to goats and pigs and um, wild sheep, so-called wild sheep. The <laughs> part ram? That's the one, yeah. yeah. He has a few of them. And he had, actually had a little mob of them in his, in his house. and um, It must be a special breed, I think, because they've got bloody longhorns and they're ugly-looking <laughs> merinos, basically. <laughs> and they've got all sorts of colours. But he, he gathers a few of them and... Um, He's a man that's had a fair bit of experience around the country. He's shot buffalo and um, he's been on a Bantang hunt who Lewis Reed shot a Bantang with. So, yeah, he's had a fair bit of experience and he's a very good guy. He's got some amazing videos out. Uh, out of all your buddy ventures, what do you think was your hardest hunt? Uh, I'd have to think about that. Probably, probably the tar hunting is the most challenging hunting um, because of the conditions we've been. You fly in on a clear day, and then you like you're flying from the coast up into the um, edge of the scrub line, so you're on that sort of thousand meter line, I suppose. Um, one trip we had in there. Well, it's not the only one. We've had a couple of trips we've flown in and had a deluge of rain and just about got washed away and then it started to snow through the night and you've had to get out of bed in the night and kick the snow off the tent so it doesn't collapse. And then you get up in the morning and you've got half a metre of snow around your camp. You go hunting that, well, it's bloody cold. If the sun's out, it's not too bad. Um, but it's still cold, but... That's when the you can actually 
see the tar a lot easier because they stand out in the snow a bit better. Um, otherwise, if they're in the scrub edge, scrubbing the rocky, rocky areas, they're fairly hard to see. There's a lot of time glassing there with, with them as well. So you, you've got to upgrade your gear once you go from Australia to New Zealand to start hunting. Your Australian gear's not up to speed over there. So um, I'd say the tar hunting would be my best experiences. I've had some very good experiences samba hunting but um, and also chasing the local deer around here but it's mostly day tripping the stuff here. Um, but the, I like to go away for several days if you can. That's where the New Zealand stuff comes in on its own. You can get up, get up there and it might cost you a bit of money to fly in but if you get the right pilot and the right operator, it's only $400 in and out, $500, it's pretty cheap going really. Okay, best hunt then? Yeah, best hunt? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that, I think that'd be the tar hunt where we had all the snow and that was, the, it was an amazing trip, we had a big dump of snow and I walked in, spot watched the tar, the tar, bull tar one day for the whole day and then I planned out I was going to go to it the next day and got up early and walked across there and it had been like there was a half a metre of snow, it was pretty dry snow so you didn't get wet, it would just shake off your clothes if you've got it on you and then I walked across and I was in the shade all day so it was like a freezing cold but it was blowing its head off, it was like a blizzard blowing, well it was a blizzard, I've set my video camera up and I'm filming while I shot the animal and then the cameras, I've actually got, it's made a pretty good bit of footage and that's focusing on the snow one minute and then the wind stops blowing so there's no snow blowing because it's actually a clear day, the sun's shining but I'm in the shadows of the mountain and then I shoot the animal and it zooms, the camera, I'm not looking through the camera at this time and it zooms in on the animal and um, if you had the right man on the technology in the computer be able to see the bullet strike the animal and it jumps off this cliff about 40 metres high I suppose and then the next thing I, it's out of sight I didn't see it again for two hours until I actually found it lying in the snow it was all made a horrible picture because the, fro the blood was all over it and frozen so it looked bloody <laughs> shit out <laughs> but that was that was probably and then I had to um, I actually shot three other animals that same same time because when I was down caping the, um, getting the head off the animal that I'd shot, there was a bunch of others came out and they want you to shoot a lot of animals because there's there's heaps of them there, and they and the dock in New Zealand actually try and manage the tar. They shoot a lot from the air for culling programs, but they tend to shoot a lot of nannies, so the bulls will be there for the hunters to hunt to hunt so it's worthwhile doing and there is some very good trophies in there I shot a 13 incher in one block um, that was the second time I went and I've shot a couple of 12s um, since then and they're like it's not that it's a challenge to get them but you've got to watch the animals for a long time to actually pick out the one that you want and um, there's there's some real good ones there I know guys have shot 14 inch tar in various places but you can go and do a day hunt on them easy enough if you want you don't have to do backpack hunting or anything um, they're easy enough to access but 
you're not necessarily going to get a good one in those areas where there's lots of people can access them. What's star meat like? Oh, it's probably a bit more gamey than mutton, but it's probably fairly like mutton, but I've, I don't tend to shoot, um, eat too much of it because it's mostly bloody rutting, <laughs> rutting bull tar that I shoot, so it's like eating a bloody red stag or a salmon stag that's in the rut. It's not real tasty. But I've eaten, I have eaten quite a bit of it, and I've eaten quite a bit of chamois as well, and they're both nice meats to eat. Like it's like anything, if they're eating grass, they're okay. What? What's what's your worst hunt? Uh, probably samba hunting and getting wet and wet and wet. <laughs> I've done, done one one backpack trip. We did we did a fly camp. There was three of us. We had fly camped and went it over into the next valley which was quite a walk from the bottom of that valley to get up to there so there was people hunting it but not many and um, this is before the A3 fires and we walked in there and I did shoot a good stag that day um, no that was another beg your pardon I think that was another trip but um, we walked over the hill and and um, hunted, and then we walked over the hill and started raining about ten o'clock, and it rained all day. And then we walked back, had to pack up our camp, and then we got back down in the valley floor to go back to our base camp. And because we were riding push bikes around the valley floor to get mobility, and I had a flat tire on my push bike, so I had to wheel it all the way back to camp, which that was about another hour and a half walk. By that time, it's been dark for two hours, probably more than that because we nearly got lost coming down the main ridge until we struck the water and it was going the wrong way so we had to do a couple of circles the other way to unwind. And then when we got back to camp, um, one of my mates got back to camp early and got the fire going so we had some hot food when we got back which was good. But that was a pretty dawning situation, you know you get starting to get hypothermic and if you're... Um, weren't well prepared, you could perish under those conditions. Yeah. Doesn't sound too fun. Oh, it's part of the game. You go you can't always have good and bad. I know we've been wet plenty of times samba hunting, but um, not as many times recent in recent years. I don't think it rains as much as it used to. We used to get wet every other weekend, but it doesn't seem to happen though. Not that I go samba hunting much, but um, you used to just get wet off the bush because it had rained the day before, I suppose. That was probably half the trouble. Good good quality gear now. I had all wool and stuff in those days, but I've got good polar fleece and um, waterproof jackets and stuff nowadays, so that makes a big difference. Good boots. What you, is there any specific game animal that you really want to take off the list? I don't need to add any more to the list that I've shot probably, but samba hunting is probably my passion and tar hunting is um, good, pretty high on it now. I really like that because of the country, but I really enjoy samba hunting stalking. I've been hound hunting a couple of times and that's good fun because of the camp, but samba, just samba stalking is a real challenge. It's, probably, it's definitely the premier hunting in Australia to go stalk samba. Um, there's a lot of guys glassing them now, but I think that's I've done a bit of that, and it's um, 
it's a different game, ball game altogether compared to the stalking in bush. Oh yeah, I've, no, I've noticed that. The bush has changed a lot in the last few years too. Since the A3 fires, the, the bush has um, had a huge change. It's gone from being reasonably open old bush to bloody thick young bush. So it's a lot of the country I used to hunt, you can hardly even see in there. Need to learn it all again. Key things to know where you're hunting so you can actually circum guess where the deer are going to be. It was like, what was like when you're hunting Tarwak, what was the type of optics you were using? Type of what, sorry? Optics like binos, uh, spotting scopes. I used to have um, Steiner binoculars, um, which are, was a night hunters, and they were very good binoculars, but I've um, recently upgraded. I sold them, um, and I've got a pair of Swarovskis with rangefinders now, eight, um, 10 by 42s, and I've um, not used them a great deal, but I've got, they are probably the top of the range, them or Lycus. Um, I've used both, and I've got Zeiss scopes on um, two of my rifles, and Leopold on the others, but um, Zeiss are pretty good optics too, so you've, that's the trouble when you start upgrading from, I had Leopold scopes and they're, they're a good scope, there's nothing wrong with them at all, but they weren't the top of the range ones, and then you go and buy a top of the range pair of binoculars, and you're hunting that twilight morning and evening, which is the premium time, and all of a sudden you can see something in your binoculars, then you put the rifle up and you can't see it because it's too dark. So then you've got to go and buy another scope for your rifle then, or hunt, don't hunt so late. I think, I think that's not an option, you have to hunt all the time. You have to hunt all the time, yep. Yeah. I've seen more Samba in that last hour of the day than I've seen in nearly any other time of the day when you, not, well, you hunt, hunt away and then walk back to camp or hunt back towards camp and then walk back the last hour in the dark a lot of the time, so that's where you see the deer. You don't see them very often sitting around camp in the middle of the day or late in the afternoon. That's where my first mistake was when we first used to start hunting sand. We were back at the hut where we used to stay in by four dark, and I think the sand were only just coming out then, a lot of them. Yeah. So... Weekend coming up is the ADA Central West Hunting Comp and Fishing Comp. How did you, you, you came up with that, didn't you, two, yeah, three years ago? I started that after being in New Zealand for four years. That I was a member of um, the Upper Cleuth of Deer Stalkers over there, which is um, like the ADA here, I suppose. It's a um, uh, New Zealand-wide organisation, they've got branches all around the place and they all the Kiwi population are a lot more into hunting than the Australian population um, and they have hunting competitions in quite a lot of the areas over there and I've not, I've not hunted in the New Zealand one but I was involved in organising it and sort of used to go along to it and I thought oh, that'd be something I could do over here and I added fishing to it to try and uh, have a bit of a sway over the greenies if they started bloody badgering us about it. 
because the council, local council runs a fishing trip carp competition and the fishing part was only for carp but we've introduced native fishing to it this year but it's got to be a photo only so it's catch and release of the natives but um, yeah it's, that, I sort of brought the, brought the idea from New Zealand and um, seemed to be going pretty good until this year we've had a change of dates and then at the last minute we've had a change of venues as well so that's probably throwing a bit of a spanner in the works and um, we've, like, like I say, the previous two years we've had um, in excess of 60 people enter the competition and um, last year I think we had uh, well over 100 pigs were taken during, during the hunting for the competition and there was a number of red deer and a number of fallow deer and a bunch of goats and foxes and uh, no cats unfortunately, but uh, there's a few rabbits and hares and I tried to have birds but there's no bird shooters wanting to shoot starlings or Indian miners and bring in so that, one, that part of it's been a bit of a flop but anyway, you can only do what you can do. So where's the venue this year? This, this year venue um, is going to be at the Forest Reef Hotel which is over between Orange and um, Millthorpe. Um, the reason it's over there is because the Farmer's Arms pub has closed um, and I can't see it opening in the foreseeable future at this stage and I only found out last Monday that it was closed so it was a bit of a panic to find somewhere else to go and the ADA was um, not particularly interested in continuing the co hunting competition if I was to step back it was just going to fold and I spoke to the Orange um, Hunting Club or the Knobles Hunting Club, and those guys were keen to have a go at it, so um, I gave them the opportunity to select a new venue, and that's where they come up with, because the guy that owns the pub's a keen fox shooter and pig chaser, so we've got it out there, It's um, and hopefully it all goes well this year, because he's keen as anything to have it there, and for it to do good, and I th if, if we can get it through this year, I think the Orange guys will do a good job with it. A pretty enthusiastic bunch. And what's the dates for it? The date is this coming weekend, so it's start hunting on the 7th, and then um, you need to be registered by the 7th, or you can still register on the evening of the Thursday of the 7th, and um, I'll probably take registrations again on the Friday the 7th in the evening from, say, 630 Six o'clock at the farm, uh, the family hotel. That's where I'm planning to go and just sit there at a table and do it. Um, and the weigh-in will be at the Forest Reef Hotel on uh, from eleven till one on Sunday the ninth. And there's well, there's a substantial prize pool. I haven't tallied up all the prizes at this stage, but. Um, I did advertise of $3,000 worth, but I don't know whether there'll be quite that much at this stage, but it's going to be close to that. What are the categories for? Categories, we've got the heaviest pig, the heaviest boar at least, um, the best four pigs, which is um, last year I think there was a total of 280 kilos or something for the best four pigs, which was a pretty good average. The four pigs, um, 
heaviest fallow doe we've got this year, and the heaviest red um, red doe, hind, um, goats. There's one for the heaviest goat, I think. I haven't got the list in front of me, but there's there's about twelve different prize categories. Um, the best bag. So if an individual goes out and shoots a a deer and a pig and a goat and a couple of rabbits and a couple of foxes, well, he'd probably win a prize because he's going to have the best, what you'd class as the best bag. Um, and then there's team events, so uh, you can have a team of up to four and um, just go as an individual if you want. And it's $30 a head to enter. Um, and you can have juniors in there and they're $10 a head. So if you've got a junior in your team, you can only have three adults. And there's a radius of 200 kilometres around the Bathurst area. So now we've moved to Orange, I suppose it's still 200 kilometres, but um, that's what I put in. There's a couple of people last year went and hunted out on the sorghum country and brought pigs back that were probably a little bit heavier than the average because of the good food that they'd got out on the sorghum. So they're probably 400 kilometres away. Thinking outside the box. Hey? They were thinking outside the box. That's right, yeah. And I didn't think that when I first started the competition. I thought I should duck down to Corriong and shoot a Sam Mistag. I'd win the heaviest deer then. But <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. There's too much to do. It does entail a lot of work. I've virtually done it all on my own for the last couple of years, or well, the last three years. I've had a couple of guys give me a little bit of a hand this year, but there's... Luckily, there's a heap of blokes to turn up on the day and give us a hand to do the weigh-in, and that's how Cody came along to be involved in the competition. He's turned up with a red deer the first year and um, give us a hand since then and joined the club, so that's been good. And I opened a lot of opportunities for me anyway. Yes, it's, um, it certainly uh, opens some doors for you if you are a member of a club and there's some active blokes that actually don't mind sharing information and stuff it's a good way to actually pick up a bit of information about how to do things like also at this competition I have I've got Joe Corby coming to do a butchering demonstration again this year and if somebody brings along a something I'll do a, do a caping demonstration if I've got time it just depends on how many people turn up to whether that happens but Joe cut up a deer last year and um, it's it's a very good opportunity to actually see how to cut up and prepare your meat because I can do it and show people but I'm not a butcher. Um, well, I suppose I am a butcher but it's pretty rough. <laughs> I make a real butcher's job of it. <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, it's also a very good social event. Absolutely, yeah. There's the boys, it's about getting everybody together and becoming... Um, a community of hunters rather than just a bunch of individuals because most of my hunting time has been on my own or with one or two other blokes and um, I think unfortunately that's the life of probably the deer hunter and a lot of blokes if you go fox whistling or something like that you tend to do that on your own so, or with one person whereas um, I think it, and for, the, for us to keep hunting as a a sport to pursue into the future we need to actually all be working in the same direction it's one way of banding everybody together and having a common interest so that we can all be pulling in the same direction at this stage we have 
groups like the ADA pulling one way and then the SSAA pulling another way, so it doesn't actually work very well when you've got a bunch of idiots trying to stop us from having firearms. Yeah, no, it makes, makes it a bit hard yeah. when everyone's against each other, but hunters should be supporting hunters no matter what your method is, whether it's archery or with dogs or... That's dead right, yeah. And you, after living in New Zealand for four years, you see a different culture. Like base, the Kiwis are basically the same makeup as what we are. They mostly come from England and Ireland and Scotland, that part of the world, in their original days. And their um, culture is so focused around, um, especially in smaller towns, the rural community is focused around hunting. Everybody goes hunting, or they know somebody that's hunter, and they all eat wild shop food you can take a shop deer a deer you shoot out in the bush into a butcher shop in New Zealand and they'll butcher it for you and make it into sausage or whatever you want to do with it so their regulations are completely different to ours and they've not seen to be they have a big duck opening it's um, and a big deer season when the raw is on everybody just takes holidays and goes hunting there's thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of acres that's balloted each year in most areas for hunting over the raw period um, and you've actually um, you've got to be lucky to get a good block so there's a lot of people putting in for it now and they've changed the balloting system a bit to make it a bit fairer too they used to just be lined up at the door and you put your name down but they actually draw a ballot out of a hat now so well it's probably not out of a hat but they um, they do it um, so that everybody gets an equal opportunity. So if you put in for the same block every year and you don't get any other, go for any others, you'll miss out. And there's not much opportunity to hunt in those areas when the ballot's on because nearly all the public land's taken up by ballot blocks. And like the, the ballot's reaching, going internationally as well. It's, like, it's not just right. New, yeah. New Zealanders yeah. going the, for it. The tar, well, all the balloting over there, it's, I suppose, it's a bit like our hog deer ballot. Um, it's um, the tar and, and the red deer both are world renowned resources and there's people from all over the world um, do put in the ballot hunt for the ballot hunts. There's a lot of Kiwis actually very anti-Australian because Australians tend to be the biggest because we're the closest to competition for their ballot and um, I know when we went for the Whoppity ballot this year for the Kiwis to go in there, they wanted a hundred dollar donation from them to be in the ballot per person, and they or to after they got drawn, and they wanted five hundred dollars from us, but oh. needless to say, they didn't get their five hundred dollars. <laughs> they got their hundred dollars. I haven't got a problem paying them for a bit of, bit of a donation, but that's the Whoppity Foundation. That wasn't a government thing, but it cost nothing. From the dock, I think it's $50 to put in the ballot. That's about what it was, I think. So, But all the ballots cost you a bit of money. And it's key to, the key thing if you're going to put in for a ballot is to do some research before you even go there because um, some blocks are good, some blocks are not so good, especially in the Wapiti area. There's, um, the wilderness part of that Wapiti area has some extremely good animals in it, but it's extremely difficult hunting. It's vertical, um, and it's bloody wet. It's the wettest area, the whole 
South Island, isn't it's it? It's the wettest area in New Zealand, yeah. It rains more there than nearly any other place in the world, I think. Uh, it just bloody hoses down when it's raining. And it blows too, like it'll blow the tent over and you would have the best tent you can get and it'll still wreck them. When I was working for Chris McCarthy there, um, he had three clients in three really good tents and by the end of the bad weather we had, because we were stuck on the tops, we couldn't get off the tops to go down the side to camp because it, the weather had already hit us. And he went looking one day, but um, two of the tents, we actually got lost three tents in that weather. And luckily we had some backup tents. Um, and we were, at one stage we had three blokes in a two-man tent for one night. Um, fairly cosy, and the other two clients were um, in one tent together too. So they didn't even get out of their tents for three days except for to go to the toilet and we delivered the food to them, so it's pretty <laughs> pretty heavy going, and it bloody rain. So, um, honeycombs, the seventh to the ninth. Seventh to the ninth. Um, yeah, hunt. Any time you're allowed, to go spotlighting to shoot foxes and stuff like that. There's no restrictions on, as long as you're within the rules that are laid down by the. Um, DPI's hunting regulations and if you're hunting on private property you've got to have permission there's not too many rules um, restricting your hunting but um, just as long as it's ethical um, and it's well fair chase I suppose you call it so yeah there's um, yeah there's yeah seventh till the ninth and um, I'd encourage people to go in it because it's a bloody good weekend and if people want to find more information they can look at the Facebook page can't they, can, they? there's a Facebook page they can see it on there and contact me through Facebook or if they've seen some paperwork around the place there's an email address on there which is um, huntandfishcomp at gmail Dot com and that'll get to me. I check that a couple of times a day. Um, and then you can register also at the family hotel on Thursday and Friday nights. I'll put all links up on my social media yeah, on that, that'll be good. Instagram and Facebook. And if you can't, don't have the time to compete, I highly encourage people to come out and check out the way in at least meet other people and she get the big balls that the doggers will surely bring in. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, a good day. When the first, the first year we had it, there was some guys drove up all the way from Penrith. They'd heard about it. They didn't actually enter the competition, but they drove all the way up from Penrith to check out the way. And I <clears throat> mean, I think they were pretty impressed with what was there. There was probably sixty pigs hanging up at that stage. Yeah, so one, one red and one fellow. <laughs> We're lucky to get it. We call ourselves a deer hunting club and we don't even shoot too many deer. <laughs> uh, and that's why there's so many about. We need to be shooting more. Yep. Any concluding thoughts or advice you'd like to give folks? Uh, just if you go and shooting, make sure you're shooting and um, confirm your target before you pull the trigger. That's all I can say. I've had a, I know of a few people, 
one of my best mate's son was shot in a hunting accident, so just be safe. Yep. Righto. Dave Young, thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Yep. I hope everybody enjoys what I've had to say. Yep. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Catch you next time. Yep.